Do you want to learn more about the latest science in reproductive medicine? Explore content from the Fertility and Sterility family of journals, including the newest journals, FNS Reviews, FNS Science, and FNS Reports, all included in your ASRM membership. For even more content, follow Fertility and Sterility on social media, listen to the FNS On Air podcast, and participate in the Journal Club Global and FNS webinar series. To learn more about the Fertility and Sterility family of journals and its multimedia content options, visit fertstert.org. That's F-E-R-T-S-T-E-R-T dot O-R-G. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we are talking about chemicals and environmental exposures in fertility in regards to reproductive health. To guide us in this, we welcome back Dr. Carmen Masurlian. Dr. Masurlian is Assistant Professor of Environmental Reproductive Perinatal and Pediatric Epidemiology, Departments of Epidemiology and Environmental Health, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and is the chair of the ASRM Environment and Reproduction Special Interest Group. I promise I'm going to be able to talk today. Mm -hmm. Dr. Masurlian, welcome back to ASRM Today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I love doing this. And we love having you. So I want to start with this terminology, environmental exposures, because that probably is is a big question mark for, for a lot of people. So can you Tell the audience what a little bit about what that might mean. Yeah, so I love this because it really gives me an opportunity to share what and how we define the environment, which is really broadly. So the total environment that a person is 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 exposed to is not just the physical environment, but it's the uh, built so the built environment, the natural environment, and then the social environment. So there's three kind of parts to our environment. So. So typically what we've been focused on in in the space of fertility and reproductive health has been studying sort of more the built environment or the environmental chemicals. Um, You might have heard the term endocrine disrupting chemicals, which have been used quite a bit in the last 15 or 20 years. We're moving away from that sort of limited model where we're just looking at chemicals as part of our environment. And that would fall into the built environment. So we're exposed to tens of thousands of chemicals per day in our built environment through things that we're in contact with every single day from from the iPhone that you touch, which I'm going to show you here. Um, This is um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of products out there that allow us to make better choices, which is something I want to touch upon today. But I had to buy an iPhone cover and this one's made out of BPA. It's a poly, um, you know, there's a, yeah. a polycarbonate plastic here. And so you touch this all day long, right? Mm-hmm. And you touch the film that's on top of it. And so it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you expose yourself to countless products like this every single day, your body absorbs it through. So in this particular case, it's through transdermal absorption. So by touching it, my body is exposed because it gets onto my skin. These chemicals like phthalates and phenols and PFAS chemicals are found in these products and they enter our bodies through either physical contact, through transdermal absorption, or we breathe the air in. So things that are in our dust, the the air that we breathe, the chemicals that are in our air, air pollutants, indoors and outdoors, and then through ingestion, those are sort of the three main routes of ingestion of food and water, exposure through air or through transdermal absorption. Those are kind of the main routes of exposure. But the physical environment includes the environment, like the chemicals that I mentioned, but we also have the built environment, which is 
like the air pollutants and the water we drink, mm -hmm. uh, the food we eat. This is part of the natural environment. It's also part of the environmental exposures. But very importantly, we talked about this in, in one of the other podcasts, is the social environment, which is really as important as the physical and built and natural environments. The, phys the social environment is really the relationships, the people, the culture, the environment, and the space that you occupy in your community can have a really important impact also on your fertility. So all three of these areas are things that I study at Harvard and how they impact males and females in the reproductive life course is my is my research. Not trying to trivialize one against the other or say that, that one is more pressing than the other, but I am curious because when you talk about BPAs, for instance, you know, I instantly think of water bottles, things yes. of this nature, you know, is that top of the list when you're discussing this with particular patients or? Yeah. So you're right that we are, and this is a big focus of my research is really these endocrine disrupting chemicals, phthalates and phenols and perfluorinated chemicals, even things like lead and arsenic, things that you can find through your food that can impact your fertility. So we're exposed to countless chemicals, thousands of them in our bodies every day. And we know a lot of them. We haven't studied all of them because there's so many out there. The chemical industries produce tens of thousands of P like there's 9,000 PFAS. Last week, there was a lot of attention focused on PFAS because the White House came out with a report and the EPA came out with statements regarding how they're going to be now monitoring and testing the water for certain PFAS. Now, there's 9,000 in circulation in production today across the globe, 9,000 of these kinds of PFAS chemicals. And the EPA is looking to regulate, I think, nine of them, a small fraction, right? So we can't know about every single kind of PFAS and how they harm our health, but we do know that they're endocrine disrupting. So they affect female and male androgen and estrogen production. They could be anti-androgenic or estrogenic. They can disrupt the hormonal pathways in our body, but they also can disrupt things like our immune system and how our bodies produce T cells and B cells and inflammatory biomarkers and things that can impact how our body regulates um, cortisol and how it regulates stress hormones can also be impacted by these chemicals. And then they are also epigenetic toxic, so they can affect how our genes express and turn on and turn off. They can change that sort of process. And they can also affect the brain and how the brain develops. There's many different pathways by which these chemicals act. So they are of high interest to us as scientists to understand them, because in some ways we feel like we can have some control over them, even though we don't necessarily have control on how chemical companies make products. But we might be able to encourage certain certain types of behaviors in, in couples when they're trying to get pregnant or planning a pregnancy. We know these chemicals, the ones that I mentioned are all associated. Every single one that I mentioned is associated with diminished reproductive function in both men and women. So couples or men that had higher concentrations of these chemicals in their bodies, and I'm lumping them, had lower sperm parameters, lower healthy markers of male fertility, lower testosterone, um, longer time to pregnancy, more, more complicated outcomes in the offspring. Um, similar for women, we see, for example, DEHP in a study that I've published in epidemiology showed women that were attending the Massachusetts General Hospital Fertility Center, the women that had higher concentrations of these chemicals called DHP, which is a phthalate, had a three to fourfold increased risk of miscarriage pregnancy loss, very early loss, biochemical loss, but also later loss, clinical loss, where there was a heartbeat. 
So a much higher risk of, of losing a pregnancy after having treatment for IVF. Um, so very upsetting, very, you know, very costly outcome for a couple to suffer a miscarriage. And so we don't know yet. I have a, a, a clinical study right now that's looking at changing behaviors and trying to measure the change in the exposure. So at the Boston IBF, we, we've given an intervention to couples. We've given them all the products that we think have lower burden of these chemicals in them. So what we call safer products. And we got the couples to swap out for a week or two their product use. And we measured their urine before and we measured their urine after the change of products. And we haven't gotten the results back yet, but we assume that our hypothesis will be found to be true, which is that couples that engaged in changing those products and reducing the, the concentration of the chemicals in the products that will reduce their urinary measures of the metabolites of these chemicals. So we're, we're looking for those kinds of interventions to help support couples to reduce their exposure to these chemicals. And I would imagine then that, you know, so I, or a lot of these swaps out for organic type foods, you know, less processed foods, less frozen foods. Things You've got those it. Yes. yes, those are excellent, wonderful, amazing suggestions. So there's a couple tips that I could share. I will share now. So with respect to personal care products, because that's a big area of use where there's a lot of chemicals, a lot of these chemicals that I mentioned, like BPA and phthalates and, and, and PFAS chemicals, they're found in personal care products like shampoos, soaps, deodorants, hair mousse, hairspray, makeup, cosmetics, lipstick, cheek blush, foundation, nail polish. So these are the tips that I give, which is you can buy products that have labeled phthalate-free, paraben-free, triclosan-free. There's no label that says PFAS-free because the government has yet to actually enact anything around PFAS with that regard. But you can buy products that are safer safer alternatives. You can look up at EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group. They have a, a platform that you can search your product up called Skin Deep, and you can find and identify products that have categorized as safer in the green zone versus the red zone. So you can look up your makeup, your lipstick, and you could say, oh, I want to switch it to something else. And they can make recommendations and you can search the database. It's a wonderful um, resource for people. So if you can't buy that, because I'm wearing lipstick right now, and it's not the kind that you that I would recommend people buy. So guess what I did? I didn't wear makeup all day, but I was coming to this thing. So I decided to wear makeup. So use less frequently, less times per week, use less of the product. These are things you can do. So if you have to wear makeup, wear it less frequently and use less of it. If you're going to put cream on your body, use it less frequently and use less of the product. These are great tips for product use. Buy unscented products for every single thing in your home, including your dish soap, your fabric softener, if you even use that, which I completely discourage because they're scented, um, your laundry detergent, your, your dish soap, your hand soap, any soap in the home, any type of solution or cleaning aid should be uh, scent free because the scent is one of big reasons and big ways and why phthalates are added because phthalates allow the scent to adhere to the product because it's oil soluble and allows the adherence. So it's used as a solvent. You should have no fragrance, home fragrances in your home. You should not have any of those plugins. Those emit phthalates and other chemicals into your air. And then you breathe them. It goes into your lung and increases your body's burden exposure to these chemicals. So no fragrance in your home, not even candles. Um, so these are things to do in your home. So you might not be able to change your iPhone case, but these are things you can do. 
and swapping out everything, all your cleaning solutions for more green-based um, products. There's lots on the market right now that are just afford as affordable price-wise as some of the more big brand names that have Clorox and chlorine in them. You want to avoid any chlorinated products. Chlor we have many studies coming out of my lab showing that chlorinated products are harmful to reproduction, harmful to children's health, a whole other set of uh, chemicals in our, in our water as well. They're called trihalomethanes. They're chlorination byproducts. Want to avoid those. Getting a water filter put into your into your home for your tap water. So the natural environment is your water is one of them. Our water in the United States is, is highly contaminated with PFAS and a whole host of other chemicals, including phthalates and a whole other set of chemicals, groups of classes of chemicals. So putting a water filter, a nice one though, they're not cheap. Ones that have a reverse osmosis or an activated carbon filter that can get rid of a lot of these chemicals. So keep your water clean. And then the ones that you mentioned, which is around food, food is a big source of exposure. Reduce the number of times you get takeout. Reduce processed foods in your kitchen. I know it's so hard. I have such a hard time with this because I've got two teenage sons. And today I had to take out, for example, smoked salmon, right? And you think, wow, smoked salmon's healthy. Smammon, omega fatty acids, a great source of nutrition for a, you know, for a teenage kid who's getting breakfast with a bagel. You open up the package, it's covered, first of all, in plastic. So that plastic is leaching into your food because there's there's um the chemicals are not always covalently bond to the plastic. So they leach out, so they they transfer into the food. In addition to the plastic, it's on a cardboard that's got like a metal coating on it that's oil proof and grease proof because it's very oily salmon, right? Guess what's on that package? PFAS is used to produce the food packaging, the food contact paper. Almost every single one in the US is covered in PFAS. So your food is sitting on paper that's oil proof and grease proof. And that to make that paper grease proof and oil proof, they use PFAS coated with it, many different ones to allow it to have a long durability so it can sit in the fridge and not leak through the paper. So your salmon is sitting in plastic and sitting in a cardboard paper container that has PFAS in it. So then you go to eat your salmon and guess what? You're having really good omega fatty acids, which are amazing for you and for your fertility. So you should bump those up, but you're also putting a lot of bad things in your body. And so these are things that, you know, you need to be mindful of your exposure, your food, your processed food is really important. Take out anything that comes in a takeout package is either plastic so there's got to be phthalates and BPA in it and or most likely always has PFAS in it. Because again, those 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 cardboard boxes that are holding your Chinese takeout in, it's not leaking, right? It's got it's got a whole bunch of saucy stuff. It's not leaking through the cardboard. Guess what? The package, even if it's made out of cardboard, is coated in PFAS to prevent oil from leaking or liquid from leaking through it. So your, your nice, beautiful takeout is sitting in a pile of chemicals and then you eat it. So cutting down on that, increasing fruit, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, eggs, um, you know, products that are fresh and non-processed is a really hard one to do, but a very important one to do and swapping out for organics wherever you can. And if you can't swap out everything for organic, swap out what we call the dirty dozen. And you could look those up if you Google or if you go on some of the websites There's something called the dirty dozen. Those are the ones that you should swap out uh, conventional for organic because they are high pest pesticide residue on those fruits and vegetables more than the, uh, you know, more than the other ones. So these are tips to try to reduce your, your, your body's burden of these, the mixture of, we're in contact with thousands of them a day. And so how do we 
manage it. Even myself, who has so much knowledge, it's so challenging for me. So that leads me to yeah. doctors are trying to already assuage patients that, you know, we're going to get through this, you know, through this journey, and this has been very difficult. Is there a recommendation about how you're supposed to roll something like this out to to patients, you know, so that, because they're already stressing out about so many things from, you know, procedures and probably taking different things. I'm just curious that it, it too is just, while this is absolutely excellent, necessary information, it's just like how... What are there recommendations for how you can roll out this information so that the patient doesn't feel yeah. just like, oh my God, I got to give so all many things. Yes. I know. So one of the things, it's a little bit of an, I'm I'm incubating a very cool thing. It's not launched yet. It's still in stealth mode, but it's it's a digital therapeutic that's going to help couples guide them through a host of lifestyle and behavioral kind of interventions to help support them on a day-to-day basis where they're at in their homes, no matter where they are on their fertility journey. How do we get translate this evidence back into their hands in a way that's easy for them to remember and with prompts and to make it engaging and fun and supportive and to work on how we communicate our science to people who need that information when they're trying to get pregnant, no matter where they are on their fertility journey, if they're infertile or subfertile or fertile, we want healthy bodies and healthy eggs and healthy sperm because those healthy eggs and healthy sperm make healthy babies. And there's multi-generational effects of these chemicals, if you could believe it. So exposure, preconception, and in pregnancy to these chemicals doesn't just affect your pregnancy that you might have a higher risk of miscarriage or a longer time to getting pregnant, we actually see offspring effects. We see the offspring, the children have impacts because of the chemicals that the mother was exposed to. So we have many studies now that show children have higher risks of infection. They have higher risk of developmental delays. They have even themselves fertility concerns and other concerns that are as a result of exposure in the preconception period or in the prenatal period in the pregnancy to these chemicals. So it's not just about trying to get pregnant. It's about making sure you have a healthy child, which is the whole point of the entire thing is we're making babies. We're not just trying to get pregnant. We are making children for the future. And we're concerned about children's health and how they are going to age. So their health span and their lifespan is impacted by by what we are doing as, as as a couple right now before we even get pregnant. So we have a responsibility to our child But not only that, we know that even the grandchild will be affected by what we're doing. So we call that multi-generational and transgenerational effects. And that that occurs through many different potential mechanisms. But one of the ones that have been studied is DNA methylation, epigenetic markers, microRNAs and non-coding RNAs that that get signatured into the sperm and into the egg and register information to the embryo and to the development of the embryo that then gets passed on through epigenetic marks. So there's pathways there. So we are concerned about these exposures. And it's not just like we talked a lot about chemicals, but and the water we drink and the food we eat and the air we breathe, very important. But also the social environment, which we talked about before in one of the other podcasts that I aired with you. Yes, absolutely. Before we run out of time, I want to make sure I get this into today. Can you tell us a little bit about the Fertility Sisterhood podcast? The Fertility Sisterhood podcast is going to be a podcast talking about exactly what we just shared, which is it's called the Fertility Sisterhood, cleaning up your lifestyle for future generations. It's going to be hosted by Rescripted Fertility. 
Um, Restricted Fertility is the number one media outlet for fertility across the United States. They have a huge community of people who are trying to get pregnant on their website and on their Instagram. And we're going to be hosting, me and my sister will be hosting a whole uh, series of exactly these topics about the food we eat, the water we drink, the air we breathe, the chemicals, intimacy and sex, a whole bunch of topics that we're going to be covering around reproductive health for future generations. Well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And I will make sure you send me a link. when they, I totally when will. To yes, so I will. Can, yes. So that we can well. link out to that and, and let everyone know. Uh, my guest today has been Dr. Carmen Masurlian. We've been talking about chemicals, environmental exposures, uh, infertility in regards to reproductive health. We'll make sure to link out to a lot of things that we talked about today so that people can uh, access all that. Thank you so much for being able to come on and, and do the show again. I love it. Thank you so much. And you can go onto my Harvard website that has resources that you can download about all the chemicals and how to swap them out. Yes. And we will make sure to post that link in our show notes. Also, please subscribe, rate, and comment on this show uh, through Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you get your podcasting needs done. Or you can email me, uh, asrm at asrm.org. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.